Welcome to the Homeschool Show, dedicated to viewing home education and all aspects of life through the prism of God's Word. Thousands of families are experiencing the educational freedoms and challenges of teaching their own children at home. Now here's your host, veteran teacher, homeschooling dad, author, speaker, award-winning film producer, and president of Piedmont Education Services, Greg Munger. Welcome to the Homeschool Show. I'm glad you're with us today. I'm Greg Munger, your host here on the Homeschool Show, where we talk about home education and along the way, look at all of life through the prism of God's Word. Don't forget, if you ever want to contact us, listen to our previous shows or ask a question, you can do so at the web at homeschoolshow.net. We're talking today with Misty Spinelli and particularly about homeschooling in the preschool and elementary years. Have you ever wondered, is it ever too early to start teaching? What are we supposed to be teaching in those early years? How do we install a love of learning, or maybe we should just be creating a foundation? How do we go about homeschooling preschoolers and elementary kids all in one family? What about the reluctant learner? Do we have to, or should we even start following state and or teacher guidelines? These are some of the questions we'll look at today on the Homeschool Show. And Misty, thank you for being on the show with us again. Thank you, Greg. Very glad to have you. Misty is an author, teacher, bookstore owner, test administrator, curriculum counselor, and wife and homeschooling mother of six. She's super mom. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure my bed's made this morning. You can't do it all and do it well. That's true. Uh, (laughs) You do have to uh, prioritize, but Misty has made a wonderful uh, DVD. Uh, hour and a half, I think it's called, uh, I think it is an hour and a half, but it's called Homeschooling Answers, and uh, she has covers a lot of this we're talking about. But let's jump right in with the uh, aspect of teaching, uh, homeschooling, preschooling, elementary years. Is it ever too early to start teaching? Absolutely not. Um, a, a mother knows that instinctively. We are teaching from day one. You know, we, uh, we're trying to teach them when to sleep, <laughs> you know, and when to eat. And yeah. I think a lot of times moms don't realize that, that that is education when we teach them how to walk and we're teaching them how to talk and we're teaching them to say thank you. All those little things you do with your one-year-olds are just as uh, important and uh, substantial as, you know, teaching them to read when they're, you know, six or seven years old. Sure. All, all that is teaching. And moms do it instinctively without even realizing it. Um, I mean, all moms say, look, it's a blue book, you know. I mean, you just you just do that. You just want your kids to know stuff. And so you do just start teaching from the get-go. Um, I think that's what's happened in our modern society is that we separate uh, and somehow think that school and learning and teaching has something to do with flashcards and books and, and workbooks and stuff. <laughs> you know? That is so, an attitude, right? Yeah, it is. And so we separate the two and go, well, I don't really want to, you know, some moms teach instinctively and don't realize it, but say, oh, I don't want to push my kids and do the flashcards and stuff without realizing that they are that they are teaching anyway, and that it doesn't, ta- and to all moms, it does not take the stuff like that necessarily to teach your little ones. Uh, moms for centuries have been teaching their little ones, you know, without books and curriculum to do it by. Um, several of the philosophies are, that are out there are that from zero to eight, our most crucial things to do during those ages is to instill their work ethic and their understanding of right and wrong. And that the best way to do that is to allow them to work alongside you and for you to play alongside them. That would fit in very well with uh, a biblical philosophy of homeschooling, and as that is uh, we're to be teaching our children to do everything to the glory of God. Right. Enjoy Him forever. Right. And so when you take time to play alongside them and instruct their play, right, so that they're understanding right from wrong. Sure. 
how to be nice and, and everything. And then, of course, when they're working alongside you, they're learning what it's like to be a grown-up and what responsibilities are and that we work with joy and we work as a service to God and all those you know, wonderful things that they're to learn. And, of course, they learn all kinds of stuff in both those scenarios, both well, when they're playing and both when they're helping. It's almost like osmosis. Uh, almost. You just don't even realize what all they're learning. And, of course, you know, we do want to incorporate language. That is such a important first skill for them to talk to them uh, in a grown-up voice. Don't down-talk to them. Don't lower your vocabulary for them. Uh, to read great books to them. All kids love stories. They've loved stories since the beginning of time. God created stories because we, and we, where our hearts are turned towards them. So reading them great stories um, so that they do have that love of books, so that uh, they love the time they spend with books. You know, you don't want to have a child who does not um, uh, want to have anything to do with books. Sure. <laughs> you know, that can be hard to get them over and then makes it difficult to school them. But, uh, you know, to start with the picture books when they're little and, you know, stay with their attention span. Don't ever force them, you know, to sit longer than they can stand to. Um, I, like, I like picture books even now. I do, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, Tommy DePaglia is one of my favorite artists to this day, or authors to this day. <laughs> yeah, I like the guy that Richard Scarry and all those little trucks and gold bug. Oh, to- yeah. Try to find him. Well, you know, a lot of uh, parents, a lot of mothers who will say uh, they get a little bit uptight, a little bit uh, been out of shape when they are trying to at least start in maybe in the early elementary years or even in the preschool. But uh, what do I teach and when do I teach it and that kind of thing? Uh, Maybe you can speak to a bit about what should we be doing, a joy of learning? Are we supposed to be focusing on giving kids a joy of learning or the mechanics of a curriculum? (laughs) Oliver DeMille, he's the guy who wrote the Thomas Jefferson Education. Um, a lot of his research has brought him to say that we can teach and teach and teach all we want, but that we should really be careful about having academic expectations on our young children. He I- says all the way to the age of eight. Um, I would definitely say until six or seven, that there should not be this requirement to learn certain things because we, don't, we can't see in their brains. We don't know which parts of their reasoning are wired up and ready to go, <laughs> which ones aren't. Sure. And every child is so different. Mm-hmm. Uh, the statistics say that the average age to learn to read is eight. Now, that may shock people because a lot of people would assume it's six because it's when they were forced to learn to read. And nowadays five, you know, because they really push them to read in kindergarten now. Yeah, you were and, saying forced to read. Mm-hmm. Forced to read. Yeah, exactly. You're forced to read. And there are kids who can pick up books and almost naturally read at four. So we know that that's very natural to do. But if, but if children start at four and eight is average, then that means 12, if you know how to do your math, uh, how to average backwards, that means 12 is also still within the natural range okay. of when kids can learn how to read. Now, that's not a lot of kids, but neither is kids learning how to read at four. That's very few also. <laughs> you know, I mean, the chunk of them do learn how to read. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That little range right there is when they become readers. Not when you start to teach them, but when they become readers. So part of what I'd like to do is to take the pressure off these moms who are like, well, my child just doesn't seem to be picking this up very easily, and you know, I'm really getting upset, and I think I'm doing it wrong, or I think there may be something wrong with my child because they aren't reading fluently at six um, you know, or seven. And it may be that that part of their brain has not developed yet. 
some kids just develop that a little bit later, and it has no bearing at all on their love and enjoyment of reading throughout life. The statistics actually show the older you were when you learned how to read, the more you read as an adult. That's interesting. Um, I found that really interesting because I felt that it might have something to do with all the kindergartners who are being forced to learn how to read before their brain is ready for it, and it may actually cause it that learning ability to go in the wrong spot of your brain hmm. uh, and not and all those skills not necessarily coming from where God intended them to come, and it may make reading actually a little harder for you than if you'd waited until it did come easy. So, now, that's not to say that I don't think you should start working with them and giving them all of the stuff that you can. My four-year-old, who hasn't been four very long, we started showing her ABC things and singing her ABC song and saying A says A-A-R that <laughs> when she approach. was really young. But, uh, you know, I don't sit down and give her a test on that. <laughs> you know, We just keep going over it and having fun with it and playing games with it. And, it, you know, and every once in a while, you know, they just come out of the blue and shock you and go, look, I wrote cat, you know. Yeah. And, and you're not sure even what that means. Okay. Have they seen cat written so many times now and their siblings have been you know, showing them how to spell it out or, you know, so you, you have to just be a little careful without going, oh, look, she's ready to learn to read, you know. I don't really think so. She figured out that that letter combination said cat, and that's a great first step to understanding and unlocking the key to what reading and spelling is, but so, it doesn't mean they're ready for everything. So what you're saying then is uh, it's not wrong to teach the mechanics of the various aspects of the curriculum sure. in a preschool elementary years. But uh, if the child is, uh, some reason, not progressing as fast as you think they should, um, the main key, the main point, I think, is what you're saying is there's the joy of learning. Uh, as I heard one uh, man say, uh, our duty as homeschoolers is to be uh, filling a bucket, not, or, I'm sorry, lighting a fire, not filling a bucket. Actually, that's Charlotte Mason who said that. Okay. <laughs> In one of her books. She said that your purpose is to enkindle the flame. All right. Uh, I heard some man say that, so I thought that was good. Yeah, he was <laughs> quoting her, I'm sure, because that's in one of her books. Uh, and that whole idea is that, um, you know, you really can't put anything in their head. Um, people may find this strange, but the only person who can put anything in your head is yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so children actually teach themselves. Now, obviously, you know, there's instruction and things needed there because they don't have anything to put in there unless you put it in front of them. But they choose whether to put it in or not after you put it in front of them. Is that making sense? Well, sure, I heard. So your job is to inspire them to put it in their brain, (laughs) you know. So you can make it fun so they're excited about learning it and seeing where it takes them, or you can make it feel like drudgery and a chore, and they might just sort of, you know, turn you off. Always, Every once in a while when I think I've chosen the wrong way to approach something, I tell my kids, do I sound like the grown-ups on Charlie Brown? Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> you know? And they're like, yeah, sort of. And I'm like, okay, so how can we approach this differently so you actually hear English coming out of my mouth? <laughs> so it sounds to me like you're trying to be uh, quite flexible. You you have some structure and you have some, uh, I don't know if I should say rigidity in your uh, in your teaching, but the structure is there, but you really do try to be uh, flexible. And, uh, well, you do, but you know, you know where the rigidity needs to be? Little kids need it. Where's that? They need it in their life as a big picture. Okay. They need to get up at the same time every morning. They need to make their bed and put their clothes on, and they need to pick up their room, and they need to fix their breakfast and brush their teeth and do their chores, and they need to know that there is structure and order to life. And But so you, so some people, I think, get confused that 
they need to that they know kids need structure and rigidity, and so they maybe have a little too much of it for these little people. Um, you know, they they do need that. They don't like just getting up in the morning and not knowing what the day holds because every day is just so different. You know, mm-hmm. that's not really good for them in a lot of ways. So you do want some good, strong structure and rigidity to what's happening in their life so that they know what comes next and what to expect. But then within those parameters, okay, now it's time we're going to sit down here on the floor and we're going to pull out our puzzles and our little flashcards and we're going to play our school games, you know, however you approach it. We're going to have our story hour. You know, within that, then we want to pay attention to what they're able to do. We want to keep it light and lively. We want it to make it fun. You know, back to Oliver DeVille, he says, you know, no expectations, you know, no requirement. You will learn this, you know. Um, But you definitely don't want to leave them hanging. I mean, they do learn like sponges at this stage. So the more you can put in front of them, (laughs) you know, the better chance you've got they are soaking it up, you know. Well, so then the joy of learning, the mechanics can be involved, uh, trying to get the the uh, children to love just researching and investigating and that kind of thing is what right, you're saying. Right, exactly. Having, you know, when they hit the why stage, I know it's hard. I've been through it six times. You know, try not to <laughs> dread it. <laughs> try to look forward to, you know, coming up with an answer every time they say why. Um, because that really, you know, and, and make light of it, you know, that mm-hmm. this is fun, that I'm glad you're asking why, you know, instead of going, you know, getting aggravated at them because you can't think of what the answer to that would be. So really uh, the love of learning is yeah. the foundation. Uh, we need to take a break here, Misty, uh, for a minute. Uh, when we come back, let's talk some more about that uh, joy of learning and then some specifics of uh, actually teaching in the preschool and elementary years. You're listening to The Homeschool Show. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to The Homeschool Show. Don't forget, if you ever want to contact us, listen to our previous shows, any of the podcasts, they're available on the website, thehomeschoolshow.net. Today, we're talking with Misty Spinelli, and uh, we're talking about homeschooling in the preschool and elementary years. Misty, you've been talking about the uh, need for establishing the joy of learning and lighting a fire, not just filling a bucket. And really, the whole foundation of education in these early years is that joy of learning. Now, one of the differences that I want to talk about next here in this next segment is the differences between homeschooling, really, and traditional classroom. The traditional classroom, much of the public school and even many private schools, seems to think that kids are all alike. They call it the uniformity of children. And uh, therefore, the government or whoever dictates uh, what is to be taught. Uh, Kids are different as pistachio ice cream and pepperoni pizza. (laughs) Yes. So uh, isn't that kind of silly that learning should be the same for every kid at every age? Yeah, and I don't know why anyone buys into that at all. I mean, as a tester, and you have this experience, Greg, you know, after you've tested about a 1,000 kids, you realize (laughs) that not only are no two anywhere near alike, but none of them are ever even close to average. No. In, in the on-the-paper form of average, you know, as a fourth grader having grade equivalents 44444 down their whole page of, you know, skills. Sure. I mean, they're just, that kid does not exist. There is not a fourth grader who reads on the fourth grade level, does math on the fourth grade level, fails on the fourth grade. I mean, because God doesn't, he just didn't wire us that way. There's math kids and language arts kids. There's creative kids and statistical kids. There's you know, That's absolutely global right. kids and analytical kids. So, you know, we're just all so different that it's not even possible to to assume that, I mean, and anybody with more than one child of their own knows that they're night and day from each other. So then why do uh, traditional classroom schools try to push conformity? They don't have a choice. My parents were public school teachers. And the fact that you have a classroom full of 30 children 
means that you can't do 30 individual things. It's not humanly possible. That's true. So it's your only choice. Um, it's the only way to manage a classroom situation. Now, one-room classrooms had it much better. My grandmother taught in a one-room classroom for a while, and that situation is much more closer to homeschooling. Um, the teacher doesn't say, you are a sixth grader, you will do all the work out of the sixth grade books. The teacher says, okay, you're doing math with that group over there, and you're reading with that group over there. And, and so the child is not required to be on the same level across, but there is a place within that classroom that's working about where their abilities are. Um, and so, you know, they can do it much, much closer to reality under that circumstance. But when you have 30 third graders, then you only have one choice. Um, so in your, when you have a family of four or five or six kids, as you do and as we have, uh, you realize that since God has created each one individual, they have each particular unique gifts, abilities, interests, uh, et cetera. Right. How, how in the world do you, do, and they all develop on a different timetable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, how in the world do you teach and utilize uh, all the books and curriculum and home education in teaching the various different levels that, well, that you're you doing? Well, you know, it's a, it's a daily challenge. It's, um, you have to do your research. You have to stay on top of it. You have to plan. Uh, see, I'm, I have an art degree. That's not easy <laughs> for me. This is why God calls people to homeschool. It's, it's for mom. It's not for the kids because we have to change <laughs> and improve. We learn I more. Learn, I had to learn to plan. There's lots of different ways to approach it. There's as many different philosophies of how to accomplish that, you know, as there are opinions out there. And you find as a homeschool parent a lot of times that you change what your philosophy is as the years go by. Maybe not because you think the old philosophy was wrong, but it doesn't work in your dynamics right now. Right. Uh, things have to change. That's the wonder and the beauty of homeschooling, though, is because we can adapt and change. The classroom can't. The classroom curriculum stays pretty much the same year after year after year, you know, whether it's working or not. And, uh, but I don't. I can, two months into the school year, go, this is not getting it. This, I had all high expectations for how this schedule was going to work or how this curriculum was going to work or how fast we'd be going through this. And, you know, it's not. And so, but then I can change and can adapt to whatever's going on in our life right then or whatever struggles a child may have developed. Do all this testing, have lots of parents to go, you know, last year we were just plugging along at that going so great. And then this year we just came to a screeching halt. Wasn't planning on that happening, you know, didn't see that coming. So that seems to be another thing that you're uh, talking about, not only instilling, especially in the preschool and elementary years, instill the joy of learning, the love of learning, the lighting of fire underneath them for, oh, I just want to get that. But also for the mom and perhaps the dad who's teaching as well, uh, a little bit of flexibility that it doesn't have to be that lockstep, as uh, Albert Shanker called it, that lockstep, rigid, confining structure of the traditional model of education. It doesn't have to be that. And we have such great curriculum available right now that I'll actually tell you a downfall to that. Okay. Is an awful lot of moms feel like the curriculum's in charge. Okay. <laughs> uh, and they want to follow it because the person who wrote that's smarter than they are and knows more than they are, and they planned it all out, and since they picked it, and that's what they bought, and that's what they're stuck with, and they've got to do it like that. And I spend a lot of time convincing moms that curriculum is wonderful, but it is a tool, and the tool does not tell you when to go hoe the garden. You know, the tool is just there to help. Um, and you got to view your curriculum that way. It is wonderful, and I sure would hate to have been homeschooling 30 years ago without all this wonderful stuff. I'm not sure I could have done it because I use my tools a lot, but I don't let them dictate to me what we're studying, when we're studying it, or how we're studying it. If I see something needs to change, I'm in charge. And so I want to give moms that freedom to realize that if there's 37 problems for you to do in Saxon every day and it's taking your child an hour and a half and a lot of tears, 
this is not good. We need to change something. And you're in charge, not Saxon. So um, we're just about out of time for this uh, segment today. Uh, Misty, you'll be so kind to stay on with us, and we'll have you uh, for the next uh, show as well. But just to recap here, the joy of learning, be, re- be ready to be flexible, use the curriculum, but use it to reach your goals and the ends that you're looking for in the early elementary, the preschool or early elementary school years. Well, that's all we have time for right now. We will be back next week with Misty to talk more about uh, preschool, elementary years, and home education. Thank you for being with us. Uh, don't Thank for- you, Greg. Don't forget, uh, folks, you can always listen to us on the web at thehomeschoolshow.net. Read our blog, listen to our podcasts, ask an expert, find information about Misty and her, what's going on in her world and how you can get her DVD. Uh, Join us next time, would you please, as we look again at home education and all of life through the prism of God's Word here on The Homeschool Show.